0: Welcome to The Divorced Woman's Guide, the podcast that empowers you to embrace your divorce as a catalyst for awakening and transformation. Are you ready to embark on a remarkable journey of self-discovery and growth? Well, join me as we navigate the path towards embodying your true self after divorce. It's time to let go of your past, reclaim your power, and step into a life that is brimming with purpose, authenticity, and unwavering faith. Get ready to rise above the challenges, embrace the opportunities, and awaken the extraordinary potential that lies within you. I'm your host, Wendy Sterling, and together we're going to uncover the profound gift and beauty as well as the infinite possibilities that come with embracing your divorce as an awakening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Divorced Woman's Guide podcast. How are you doing today? Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode because they come out every single week. And I am so thrilled that you are here today with me because I happen to be joined by a very old and dear
1: friend, Jory Rose. Hello, Jory. How are you? Wendy, it's so fun to be here. I'm so happy to be able to connect with you after so many years, so many exciting things to talk about. I can't wait to delve in. I know, me too. And you guys, Dory and I, before we hit the record button, we're trying to figure out because we have so many
0: different topics that we literally could sit and talk for hours about, but ultimately what we decided on that we wanted to share with you guys today is how it is that you can shift your lens. And I'm going to have Jory share more about what that means, but essentially it's around shifting your lens on your patterns and on ways in which you are moving through this world. And so why is Jory qualified to have this conversation with me? Well, let me share a little bit more with you you all about Jory. So Jory is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a mindfulness and meditation teacher, a life coach, author, speaker, and she also leads mindfulness retreats around the world. Jory has helped thousands of people to live happier and more fulfilling lives through living with greater awareness and compassion, allowing them to decrease their stress, anxiety, and shed unhealthy habits, patterns, and mindsets. Jory is also the host of the podcast Journey Forward with Jory Rose and has authored the newly released A Year of Gratitude, Daily Moments of Reflection, Grace and Thanks, as well as two mindfulness books, Squirmy Learns to be Mindful and Mindfulness, It's Elementary. Jory has also been featured in prominent media outlets such as opramag.com, nbcnews.com, Business Insider, KTLA News, and so many more. Jory, welcome back. You've been a guest before. It's been too long, and I'm glad that you are here. So, thank you for saying yes to coming back onto my podcast. Uh, To refresh everybody's memory, I would love for you to briefly just share a little bit about your own journey and your motivation to do the work that you do today. Uh, Well, thanks
1: again, Wendy. So happy to be here. And I love the question because it's all about the journey. It's yes. all about the journey. And I know everyone who's listening or watching right now is on some path in their journey, likely in a place they might not have thought they would have been if they go back 20 years and ask, where would I be You know, at this age or at this time? And that's the thing. It's never how we think it's going to look. And yet, it's always the exact thing of where we're supposed to be if we are able to see it that way. And that wasn't always my case. I wasn't always able to see that life was unfolding exactly as it should. Because it doesn't always feel as neat and tidy and packaged in the delivery in which we had expectations. But you and I both know expectations are the quickest path of suffering. So my journey is in a nutshell, married to my high school sweetheart. Woke up one day in my early 30s and said, who am I? How did I get here? I don't remember making the conscious choices to be where I am. I just did what was next, what was next, what was next, because it was logical. And it kept me safe and secure, which was the antidote to fear and anxiety, which was how I was raised. So safety and security became the highest value. until it no longer met my needs, which was to explore who I was outside of the roles I've always had and the expectations of how I thought my life was going to look. So that led me on a journey of therapy, which led me into mindfulness, which led me into meditation. I mean, I literally remember the very first time I ever meditated. I don't think I'd ever been that still or that silent in my whole life. And I thought I was actually going to die. And I think it was 10 minutes. I literally thought I was going to die. And I continued to delve further into the world of mindfulness and meditation and professionally and both personally. And really feel it is the answer to everything. Like, I really fundamentally believe we are so stuck in our heads. We are so detached from our gut and our sixth sense and our intuition and our heart center. And we overanalyze, we overjustify, we overthink, we stay focused on logic and what's reasonable. And that might serve us, but it also takes away a huge portion of what our inner guidance system is here to teach us. And so when I learned how to get still and like let the glitter of my snow globe settle, as I like to refer to it, because our lives are often chaotic and it feels really swirly and out of our control, but we forget that we are often the ones shaking the snow globe. And then we're like, why are things so chaotic and swirly? We're like, oh, wait, if we just like let it distill down and recognize I'm the one continuing to shake this then we have clarity. You can't see through the water of that snow globe if it's all full of glitter. And the glitter might be good stuff too. It's not all just chaos and what's hard, but we still need to have that clarity and the stillness through meditation. The ability to take that stillness and that awareness off the cushion and into your everyday life is how I teach mindfulness, which again, I think is the answer to everything how to be present, accept what's arising, even in especially the stuff you don't like and you're in resistance to, to have compassion rather than judgment, to be able to not get stuck in the past or fear the future. It's, It's a constant, constant practice. And it's one that I continue to practice daily from my divorce eight years ago to a recent breakup with a seven year relationship with my fiance, if I didn't have these tools I would be completely untethered. And yet, even though grieving and heartbreak and pain is still hard, doesn't make it go away, I, through my journey, have really grounded and centered myself in a practice that keeps me tethered to my own self and own trust and my own ability to say, well, this is what's happening right now. And in my most recent iteration of transition uh, through this breakup, one of the biggest questions I asked myself, how would I respond differently if this was in service to my highest self? How would I respond differently if I knew this was all in divine timing? Like those two things kept me grounded in expectation of the quickest path of suffering, let go of my ego and my grasp on how I wanted it all to look and let me sit with what's here knowing I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, even if I'm kicking and screaming and fighting along the way. Yeah. So I don't know. That was a really, um, you know, kind of broad and hopefully yet helpful uh, explanation of some of my journey. But it, it's the reminder that our path is constantly unfolding and we can only ever be here. And there's ways we can move through it that cause us more suffering, or there's ways that we can go through it that causes us more ease. And I'm not always great at it, but I continue to practice it.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's, thank you for sharing that. And I think that, you know, I hope everybody listening is paying attention because what Jory just said is so incredibly important is that this is a continual practice. This is something that we are always in practice of every single day. And, you know, I have learned so much. I mean, you were a huge source of support for me when I first was separated and I learned so much from you and I know that, you know, you practice exactly what it is that you preach. I mean, how did you shift yourself from who you were to who you've become and really instituted those methods as a daily practice? Like how have you had the patience and, you know, the conviction really, um, to, to, to really, you know, as you say it, and I want you to explain what it means too, but yeah. like to really shift your lens on, on life and, and where you're headed.
1: So I don't recall if I told this story on your podcast before, but even if I did it it's worth telling it again, because this was my single most life defining moment. And it was the basis that I continue to come back to of how I got unstuck from the patterns that I was repeating and how I was able to constantly stay aware of where was my focus, where was my attention, where was my energy and was it in the place that served me and was it in the place of my desires or was it just going back to what was familiar? Hmm. So long story short, I was on a retreat with my favorite spiritual teacher, Dan Millman at the Omega Institute in upstate New York in July, 2013. And he is the author of the way of the peaceful warrior. So this retreat was about cultivating a peaceful, compassionate heart while developing a warrior spirit. And on the Sunday morning, we were developing our warrior spirit through martial arts practice. And then it transitioned to an experiential exercise he was teaching about self-doubt and there we had to get into groups of three and let's say Wendy you are my long last friend that I see across the room and I walk towards you to go embrace you and someone along the way stops me and prevents me from getting to you and the person who stops me they threw their arm out really like kind of blocking my chest that person represents self-doubt preventing me from getting to my destination my goals my desires my dreams so we did that the first time the second time I try to Step towards you again, self-doubt stops me, gets in the way. Third time, I'm able to push past self-doubt and reach my goal. And when we did this exercise, we each had to play the role, all like rotating around. So we did it like nine times to experience what it felt like getting stuck, not being able to get to your goal, what it felt like being self-doubt and what it felt like not being able to be received because someone was blocked from getting to you. That enough was powerful, because I think we, and especially as women, self-doubt is like ever present, Yes. whether it's insecurity, whether it's a loud inner critic, whether it's imposter syndrome, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's trauma based, like that self-doubt is simply part of being human. So I don't think there's anyone who cannot resonate on what does it feel to be stuck when self-doubt stops you. He then assembled two cement blocks with a purple meditation cushion underneath and a plastic interlocking board across the top. And the board was representative of a piece of wood that you would break if you were doing a martial arts breaking a board practice. And he assembles all of this and he says, okay, we're going to break a board. And can I swear on your podcast? Yes. Okay, good. So because the very first thing that came into my mind was I can't fucking break a board. And I'm like, oh, look at that. Self-doubt was there immediately. I told myself I couldn't do it. So there was a couple of catches here. It was one, there was three different pieces of plastic that we had to choose. One that was the weight of an equivalent piece of wood, a lighter one and a heavier one. So we had to decide which one we were going to try to break. And then he says, we only get one chance. But after he describes all this, he then says, what's the goal here and we're all like duh you've just been explaining this the goal is to break the board and he said no the goal is to hit the purple meditation cushion underneath the board is simply in your way he said the board represents your obstacles and the cushion represents your dreams and your goals so i'm here full of self-doubt i can't fucking do this and yet I choose the middle one because I don't like taking the easy way out of anything. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I get up there, I'm kneeling down. It's my turn. 65 people are chanting my name and cheering me on while my inner critic is really super loud. So I mean, I can't do this. And I'm kneeling down. I'm focusing on the board. I'm like getting ready to prep my hand. I bring it up. I come down and I do not break it. And my immediate thought was, see, told myself I couldn't do it. So there I just validated self-doubt confirmation. My belief in myself was 100% accurate. And yet I was also full of shame and embarrassment because out of the group of 65 people, only six didn't do it. So at the very end, he says, okay, raise your hand if you didn't break the board. And shamefully, I raised my hand. He says, okay, I'm gonna give you one more chance. But again, I had to choose which one was I gonna do. And I chose the same one. Again, I'm not taking the easy way out here. So if I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to choose the easier one just to have success. So I get up there again and something in me shifted. All of a sudden, Wendy, I recognize that the reason I didn't break it was because literally my energy, my focus, my attention was all residing on the board. I was thinking stuck on my obstacles. Mm -hmm. I was focusing on what was in the way. I believed I couldn't push past what was in the way. And something came over me to shift everything inside of me, including my mindset and my thoughts on shifting all of my energy, focus, and attention on that cushion. And I took a deep breath and I raised up my hand and I broke through that board and I hit the cushion. And in that moment, I literally was like, fuck self-doubt, it never has a place in my life again. If I did this, I know I can push past self-doubt in any other capacity. Hasn't always been easy. Doesn't mean self-doubt still doesn't show up with regularity. I just have the confirmation of knowing when I shift my attention, energy, and focus on my desires or my goals, the obstacles, they don't matter.
0: Hey there, I am interrupting this episode for just a minute. And if you're somebody who has been listening to my podcast, you know that I am all about providing resources to help you wherever it is that you are in your process. And today is no different. As parents, we often have gut feelings when something just isn't right. This can be especially true in co-parenting arrangements where one parent is struggling with addiction. If you're co-parenting with an ex-spouse who abuses alcohol, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. The system's real-time alerts facial recognition and tamper detection, ensure the integrity of each test so that you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety, and your kids are able to maintain healthy relationships with both parents. To sign up and get $50 off your device, visit www.soberlink.com slash Wendy. Okay, let's get back to the episode. So powerful. Um, Interestingly, I did a similar experience with one of my coaches and broke my board We wrote something on like the front and then something underneath it, Um, you know, breaking through same thing, like the self-doubt and underneath were the goals and, you know, and I can tell everybody listening, the, the power that you feel when you know that there is literally nothing standing in your way, but that inner critic is, is a life-changing moment. And it literally shifts Everything, for everything, you. everything. And it is possible for anybody who's listening and tuning in right now that wherever it is that you are today, whatever it is that you are thinking is it's your ego. It is not the truth. It is not where you get to stay that you alone have the power to shift your mind and to shift your reality because ultimately- as you said, I mean, what you think you create. So you are allowing your thoughts to have that much power. And until you decide to shift your thoughts, until you decide to shift your behaviors as a result, your life is going to stay the same. And you're going to continue to create the life that you don't want instead of creating the life that you do. So from that moment forward, how did you change your life? How did you then
1: Well, I realized, ah, shit, that means I got to get divorced. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and, and so that retreat was in upstate New York. And I knew that Dan Millman led a retreat in Costa Rica every other year. And I came home and I remember telling my husband, I want to go on his retreat in Costa Rica. That was a full week. And he's like, you can't go. He wouldn't let me. So that was July, 2013. I got divorced in 2014. And as soon as I got divorced, I booked my retreat in Costa Rica, that next one he was doing. And I remember being on the plane to Costa Rica by myself, and never been out of the country alone, full of so much like humbled pride that in just two and a half years, I took all the scary leaps into this unknown. And here I was, an embodiment of having broken through the board that I... Like I thought about how many people broke the board. This wasn't a judgment, it was just a curiosity. How many people broke the board, went home and didn't make any changes from that? And just was like, oh, I had this really cool experience but nothing actually manifested differently because it's too hard to do that or I don't believe in myself enough or whatever. And I let that be a reminder that, well, this is what I do. This is who I am now.
0: Right. It's the integration.
1: Yeah, and it takes, It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, look, that was two and a half years later, right? I mean, I I work with clients now who are on the fence of should I stay married, should I stay divorced. I'm like, look, that took me five years to make that decision. Like, there, there's no time frame on your outcomes as long as you are. To me, that's what the journey forward is, and like these shift your lens. It's like it's these one percent shifts over time that just put you on a different trajectory. We don't have to make the big. 90 degree 180 degree changes overnight. Like that's not reasonable. It's like trying to lose too much weight at once. You're just gonna revert back. It's gonna be a boomerang effect. And I use weight loss analogy a lot because I've lost a lot of weight over the course of my life. And you know, when I went down over 70 pounds, it was no, you you do that one pound at a time. That's all you can do. It's only one pound at a time ever. So you can only do one small change at a time. And Now I can see where I can easily get stuck in old fat patterns, but I have the awareness to even recognize, oh, fish is an old fat pattern. And if I go down that path, I do so with awareness instead of with a lack of awareness or mindlessness or be on autopilot because so many times we do things not even aware that we're doing them.
0: Right. Autopilot.
1: I used to lead weekly mindfulness classes for years. I created a curriculum and I taught it at multiple different locations. And one of my favorite questions each week was asking how, what was a mindful moment you had this week? And I loved it when people would come in and say, I had no mindful moments this week, Jory at all. Like I, you know, I had no mindful moments. I was reactive. I was this, I was that. And my response was always the same. The mere fact that you are aware that you were unaware is And of itself, awareness. Awareness does not mean you're always doing something different. Awareness just means you simply have two paths you can go down. Choosing the old familiar path is still an awareness. So there's no shame in doing what you've always done because it's such a well-ingrained habit. We can just have the awareness of, oh, look, I'm noticing I went down the same path. It was habit. It's familiar. It feels safe. It feels comfortable. But I also don't like how I feel down when I get there. So just because I started walking that path, I can still shift to a different path. I can, I can pivot whenever I have that moment of awareness, but we believe that to create the change means I never walk down the old path. Like, no, you're going to keep walking it probably forever. The key is, are you aware that that's what you're doing or are you doing it mindlessly? That to me is the difference. Yeah. And
0: that's so powerful because I think that, you know, I love that you brought awareness to that because, you know, it drives me crazy when I hear people say like, oh my God, I totally, you know, did what I always did. And oh, why, why am I doing this? Or, you know, they beat themselves up, right? They get into that judgment mode instead of celebrating the fact that they actually are awake, right? They're paying attention to what it is that they are continuing habitually to do and actually seeing that they have the power to do something different if and when they choose. So what does the role of judgment play as people or as you have navigated sort of these 1% trajectory shifts and how do people overcome that?
1: Awareness that the judgment's arising. I mean, look, we. so this is where I struggle with John Kabat-Zinn, who's like the grandfather of mindfulness in the Western world, as I call him. His definition of mindfulness is being aware, paying attention in the present moment, on purpose, non-judgmentally. I struggle with the non-judgmentally piece, because for everyone who's listening and watching, like, raise your hand if you have judgment. Okay, like, everybody should be raising their hand right now. So I struggle with the definition that implies we should not have judgment. It's simply not human and judgments are really valuable. They teach us what's safe. They teach us, our judgments are reminders of our values. So if you're in judgment of something, it's a reminder of what your value is that was just violated or a boundary that was violated. So judgments inform us of what's important to us, of what feels safe. I mean, it's, you know, the fight, flight, freeze, kicking on, be like, ooh, danger, don't go there. So, you know, judgments serve a role for us. The key is whether or not we are aware of them, how much they take over, how they define us and how we can mitigate them. And I really believe compassion is the antithesis of judgments or the antidote to judgment.
0: I mean, I know that I had a really hard time understanding um, how to even be self-compassionate. How can, like what, how do you define compassion and what does that practice look like?
1: So there's a couple ways i like to talk about this. I'm going to start simply and then I'll make it more broad and more complex, but we've got sympathy, empathy, and compassion. People often interchangeably, mistakenly confuse the three of them. So the Dalai Lama has a description that I really like. Imagine you're walking down a dirt road and there's a man stuck under a boulder as there might be in India, not here in California, but (laughs) to have sympathy, and this is, you know, not the language Dalai Lama would use. This is my take on his definition. Walking down the dirt road, seeing a man stuck under a boulder, sympathy would be like, oh, that sucks to be him. Too bad. That's like really too bad. That's unfortunate. I'm so sorry to see you're troubled, right? I've got sympathy. It's really sucks to be there. Empathy would be to walk by and say, Oh, that really sucks to be him. How do I know? Because I've been there before. I feel your pain. Sometimes our empathy, if we're too empathic, we can actually embody it so much to the other person that it prevents us from doing anything about it. Because it can be retriggering to a trauma of ours. Like if we take on too much empathy, like right, compa- you know, kind of like that fatigue of it, it doesn't draw us into action. Compassion would be to say, I see this man stuck under the dirt on the dirt road under the boulder that sucks to be him how do I know because I've been there let me do something to help him out from underneath so I like to define compassion as empathy plus action so compassion is a doing like we're actively doing something to alleviate some suffering so with that self-compassion is how can we treat ourselves in a way to alleviate our own suffering of inner critic, inner judgment, self-doubt, shame, whatever is coming up for us us that is preventing us from feeling kind to ourselves, good about ourselves, proud, empowered, strong, you name it. So self-compassion, as defined by Kristen Neff, who's one of the top researchers on self-compassion, she defines it in three ways. One is common humanity. The way I define common humanity is simply part of being human. Whatever you're feeling is normal. You know, It's like, Wendy, you and I are unique, but our problems are not. The right. details are unique to you, but what you're experiencing is a human experience. It's emotion. It's humanity. No right. one gets out of here unscathed, right? Right. We often feel when we're stuck in judgment or that inner critic we feel like, oh, fuck, no one's going to get me. I'm the only one. No, and we then believe that we truly are the only ones who's ever gone through heartbreak, grief, trauma, whatever it is. So remembering that part of common humanity can just be a little bit, even if it's just an inkling, it's one of those ships. Like Even if it's just a little bit to be like, okay, at least I know I'm human. Nothing is wrong with me. Cause we often think what's wrong with me and why can't I get through this or right. why is this so hard? So like one of my favorite self-compassionate phrases is oh, this is really hard right now. And you notice the tone, I said it to myself. And if I was going to be like, Fuck, this is hard, like that would be a judgmental statement. Like that, what is wrong with it? I can't get out of this. Right. Right. Versus really hard right now. And I also use the words right now, which speaks to the other component of self-compassion, which is mindfulness, which is being present, not permanent, not going to be here for forever. It's what's arising right now. And when we're practicing mindfulness, it's can I accept what's arising even when I don't like it? And especially when I don't like it, it's what's here. It's allowing and accepting versus denying and resisting and ignoring, because when we're in denial, resistance, ignoring, it only actively actually activates our inner critic, our inner judgment more, taking us down the opposite way of compassion. And then the last piece is kindness. You know, can we speak to ourselves like the way we would to someone we love the most? And I actually add three other things to Krista Neff because I'm not researcher in self-compassion and I value the work that she does. And I also don't think it's enough. Because I think we can be stuck saying, okay, this is part of being human. I can accept it even if I don't like it and I can be really kind to myself, but I think there's more. And to me, the more is, you've got to really get to know yourself because unless you really know what your values are, then you can't do the next two things, which is draw boundaries. And let go of what's no longer serving you. Because I think understanding who and what you are and your values and why what's important is important to you. Because I want you guys all to think about if there's ever a time you're in a conflict with somebody, it is a highlight of one of your values that has been violated, period. No matter what, it is always a values difference when you're in conflict, when you're in judgment, when things aren't flowing, there is a values violation. So unless you know what that is, you stay stuck in the conflict. From that place of being values driven of understanding who and what you are, which is letting your glitter settle, get out of your head, into your body, like get to know yourself, curiosity, right? Then you can say, what is a healthy boundary I can draw? Because I could technically be self-compassionate based on Kristen Neff's definition and still think a about situation.
0: Yeah. And- I- totally agree with you I love these so keep going sorry
1: no no I but like I think about people who are in really unhealthy situations can be really self-compassionate and also not really serving themselves so get to know yourself know your values from there only then you can draw a healthy boundary based on your values which is hard to do when we don't feel like we've got the worth to draw a boundary but that's work mm-hmm. And then another really self-compassionate act is letting go of what no longer serves you. And so, you know, those extra three components I feel are integral in a self-compassionate practice because it's so much more than just understanding our common humanity. It's so much more than just being present and adding the words right now and acceptance into what's hard. And it's so much more than just shifting your inner voice from judgment to kindness. Like we actually have got to do more work. Yeah,
0: I, I agree with you. I mean, it's the foundation for the work that I do is all values and boundary based Our boundaries come from our values. If you don't know what your values are, then, then you can't shift, right? That's, that's the missing piece to be able to really shift into and start making different choices and, and creating that new life that, that, you know, so many of us want. I mean, I feel like those are the two pieces that also help with shifting your outlook, right. Creating that positivity of what's possible on the other side of this, right. Like giving hope almost, uh, that life gets to look and be different.
1: Yeah. So. And, you know, I, I recently been doing a lot of law of attraction work and I, it resonates with me so much because I see the neuroscience behind it. It resonates in my natural belief system. I have plenty of experience in my life to know that when I'm really clear on what I want to bring in, the universe is like, oh, here you go. But I'm also have a lot of evidence of when I stay stuck, the universe is like, and here you go, right? Either way. So, But we we often get stuck in the belief system, especially in this Western culture of ours, of when I see it, I'll believe it. So when I have evidence of something, then I will believe I'm possible. Like, okay, so me breaking the board, I couldn't see it happening before I believed I was capable of doing it. So we can never actually get the results before we make the decision, having the results is possible. But right. so I had to believe I could break the board for me to have evidence that the board being broken. Right. So it's not, I'll see, you know, when I see it, I'll believe it. No, no, no. It's when I believe it, then I'll see it. Because when you believe it is when you can put yourself into the uh, place of alignment, mind, body, soul, spirit, action, clarity, alignment, to put you on the path that actually gets you towards what you're working towards. Yeah. Well,
0: and living an authentic life through yes. the lens of your most authentic self, which is typically our highest, our higher self. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's in a process, it's a process that we go through and we learn. And as you said, I mean, the universe hands us exactly what it is that we ask for, or that we are seeking unless we choose to seek something differently. And, you know, I, I love that you use that example because I always say like people, you know, it's, it's really about, um, you have to shift your thoughts in order to shift your reality. Yeah. Right. If you want to break the board, if you want to see the board in two pieces, you've got to believe that your hand is that powerful to create that for yourself.
1: Yeah. Easier said than done. But I invite people to consider what are you working on your life and how much is it actually manifesting for you? And what's the thing getting in your way? It's likely the belief that you can't have it or that you can't do it or that it's not, you're not capable. And that's a story you're telling yourself and choosing to believe. And it's not a judgment when I say that. It's just that our habit, that's our pattern, that's, you know, even how we complain to our friends like we perpetuate the thing not recognizing we're keeping it alive through perpetuation yeah and I think
0: that you know it's we're we're looking for evidence to support the story instead of trusting that the evidence will appear yeah on the other side right yeah we look at it so backwards, um, you know, and it's and it's retraining. It's retraining our mindset, at, you know, decades worth of beliefs and and autopilot that we've just been conditioned. Right? Yeah. Again, no judgment. We're all human beings, you know. I believe we're souls having human experiences, and and we're here to learn these lessons. And it's really about how is it that you are going to use these lessons to create and find the gifts on the other side, right? What is it that you're going to do differently? Because there's so much abundance available to everybody, right? There's, you know, you can decide at any given point in your life that you want something different that you want to be doing something different that you want a different partnership in your life or even through the growth work that you've done you've evolved and changed right like i was just having another conversation with another podcast guest where we were having that exact conversation which is that you know we're all going through this life and learning new and different things and y- you can choose to see those experiences as you know learning more Moment, right, where you choose to shift your trajectory in the world, and as you said, it doesn't have to happen in large, gigantic steps. It gets to be, you know, these little baby steps add up to so much more. And to be honest, I believe that they last. <laughs> they're lasting shifts yeah. versus making bigger ones, as you said earlier. Um, you know, how have you been able to use that knowledge? You know, based on you know your recent breakup. Being in a long-term relationship, like how have you been able to, you know, use the tools that you have for the grief that you're going through, you know, being more of, you know, I don't want to say more evolved, but being an evolved version of who you are, how have you been able to use that in your grief in this circumstance for yourself?
1: Uh, Such a great question. I, working with my coach She's like the perfect blend of spirituality and woo and, you know, business coaching all at once. Cause we are all interconnected. We can't separate out any of it. It's all energy. Right. right? And I would often say to her, okay, like what's the lesson I'm supposed to be learning right now? What's like, okay, what's the lesson here? What's the lesson here? She finally stopped me. She's like, Jory, every t- single time you say to yourself, what's the lesson I'm learning? The message you're giving out to the universe is, okay, give me more lessons. Mm. Oh my gosh, shit. The question isn't, what am I here to learn? The question is, how am I going to apply what I've already learned? She goes, it's time to graduate. Like you got all the information you need. (laughs) Now what are you going to go do with it? It's not about learning more at this point. So to answer your question, like at what point... Do we have enough information for us to know? We have all the information. Right. We don't need more information to learn more lessons. It's okay. Now the wisdom, the deep, deep, deep wisdom is what am I going to do with this? How am I going to actually step forward on a different path, knowing I'm exactly being given what I'm exactly supposed to be receiving? Very different outlook and mindset. Because I just was like, what am I here to learn? What am I here to learn? Because I'm always here to learn. She's like, yeah, but you also want to be somewhere else, which is out of this loop of confusion and pain and heartache. You have all the information. So it was, you know, even though I conceptually knew all of this, it's still a practice to apply my own tools and to really delve into, okay, I'm stuck in what I call the cycle of reactivity. I'm looping in it. It's, I see it. And yet, I had to get on a different path. It was, I have all this knowledge of what's not working. My ego is in great resistance. My ego's been in great resistance. My heart is still broken. And yet, to get on a different trajectory, it was, what what do I need to do to believe this is all in service of my highest self? This is all in divine timing. And to trust and have faith and a little sprinkling of pixie dust that's actually what I have on my license plate frame is it says all you need is faith, faith, trust, and a liberal free scene of Pixie Death. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> T- Tinkerbell is like my spirit guide. And there's no easy like one, two, three, four. Here's the steps now. Go. It's like, okay, I did steps one, two, and three. Okay, now I'm back at one again. Okay, let's, you know, let let's just keep one step in front of the other. And for me at the very, very root of it is breathing, right? It's connecting with that breath to interrupt the thoughts, to interrupt the cycle, to interrupt the pattern, to interrupt the autopilot to say, okay, I have a choice right now. Not easy, I don't like it, but I always have a choice. But in absence of me connecting with the breath, I can't put any of those tools into practice. It's too hard, but
0: no. And I think I love that you brought that in, um, you know, the power of breath work and how, when you do concentrate on your breathing, you know, it, it allows your mind to stop being on that hamster wheel. And it just really allows you to connect.
1: Wendy, I've been teaching meditation for over 10 years. And I just recently have pretty much stopped using the word meditation. When I teach meditation, It's an emotionally charged word where people have self-doubt as soon as I say it. Right. So I've shifted one of my shifts is I have shifted the entire intention of meditation. All we're trying to do is regulate our nervous system. That is it. If you believed all your whole goal was trying to regulate your nervous system, I could do that. I can regulate my nervous system. Oh, I'm, I'm anxious. Okay, my nervous system is activated. When it's activated, all these other things happen. What do I need to do right now? I don't need to fix and solve the things that cause the anxiety. All I need to do is regulate my nervous system. How do I do that? I breathe. Okay, I can do that. Like, it's just that simple. We make it so complicated. We get in our way all the damn time. So like when people say, oh, I can't meditate. Okay, well, why can't you? Well, I don't have time. Okay, are you ever in your car? Do you ever like brush your teeth? Are you in the shower? Are you in line at the grocery store? Are you sitting in traffic? Okay, you've got time to to breathe. Okay. You know, well, oh, but I have thoughts. Good, you're human. That means you're alive. Your mind's never going to stop producing thoughts. The goal isn't to get them to stop. The goal is to not have them control you. That's all. How do I do that? Oh, regulate my nervous system. They don't take over as easily. Okay. Right. Every barrier to entry is an excuse of a belief of, I can't do this. Every single one. Yep. yep. And yet oftentimes I believe people stay stuck for the fear of if I weren't stuck, then I actually have to go do the same. And yeah, that's to scary too. Work. Yeah. What or it I've got to apply the work. Right. Right. If I embody this change, what does it mean? If I let go of this relationship, what does it mean to show up as a single woman again at 45 years old when I never thought I'd be here? Okay, well, my highest self would say, you know exactly what to do. Yeah. The stuck self would say, but I don't want this. I don't like this, this is hard, this hurts. It's not what my heart or my head wants. It's not how I thought it would be. Okay, yes, and you're here now. And it's a constant practice, constant, like how many times a day do I have to keep going back to step one? Okay, just breathe.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's not a matter of that you're going back. It's that you know what to do. Should you, should you wind up there? You know, it's, it's having, you know, it's it's just knowing what to do. And I love the reframe around meditation. Cause I agree with you anytime, you know, people are like, what, how do you meditate? How do you do, how do you duh, duh? And it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, it does bring up so much anxiety. And I love that. I, I really want to call that out to everybody listening that it's really just about regulating your nervous system.
1: That's and all we're doing the reset. And, and there's two Breath Is The first one. Yes. And for those who are practicing breathing, one of the keys is a longer exhale, because that activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of your brain to be like, okay, I can calm down now. But for some people, breathing actually isn't helpful. If you obviously have like respiratory issues, obviously the breath is going to feel difficult to access. But if you have trauma to the body, sexual trauma, physical trauma, the breath may not feel safe to go kind of inward with that. One of the, my other absolute favorite ways science back to regulate is just to name what's arising. When we name it, even just saying, I'm really anxious right now. Notice the tone was a self-compassionate tone, not a judgmental tone. Saying it judgmentally would put us back in that cycle of reactivity where we're looping in it. But to just name it, it creates space and distance. And we know Victor Frank will quote, right? Between stimulus and response, there is space. And in that space lies our freedom. When we name it, we are in creating space. That's all we're doing because we're not in the middle of it. We are now observing it, and if we're observing it, it doesn't define us. And if it doesn't define us, it's not going to be permanent. And if there's that space, I can choose. Okay, here's it. Here, here's, here's what's happening. Okay, and how do I want to get through this? That's all. Yeah, wash, rinse, repeat.
0: <laughs> I was going to say
1: rinse and repeat. That's like that's all. That's all. Like that's all it is. Yeah, it's not easy but it's simple. Right. Simple
0: steps doesn't mean that it's easy, but there's are simple steps that you can put into practice every day anytime that you feel that dissonance within your body. It's possible
1: to shift 100%. 100% of the time. Oh, and that's why my branding is journey forward because it's it doesn't matter like how far forward it's just let's just have a baby step you know one of the analogies I like to to say with that as we wrap up is you know planes you know they, they can't go backwards on their own they have to be pushed back from the gate and they're also not meant to be stagnant they break down when they're on the ground they're meant to be forward going in flight in motion at full speed and so like when we ruminate imagine like the thought of I'm not meant to be going backwards right now. Like I'm actively being the little cart, pushing the plane backwards on purpose. Like you aren't supposed to go backwards. Like we're, we're physics. Law of motion stays in motion. Like forward progress is the only trajectory. Right. And a regression doesn't mean we're going backwards. It just means, okay, we're resetting. It's energy. It's all energy. Yeah, It's all energy. And yet we interrupt it constantly. And then we're like, why is this so hard? It's like shaking that snow globe. Like, oh, it's so chaotic. Why is it so hard? Oh, wait, I, what is my contribution to this control that I have to let it settle? Yeah. Easier said than done. As I always say, it's a practice and it's possible. Yeah. hundred
0: percent. Jory, we could talk for hours. I I know. Before we hit record, we we were talking for like a long time too. (laughs) But this was so great. I always learn something from you every time I talk to you. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for the work that you do in this world. And I want to make sure that everybody knows where they can find you. So uh, Mm -hmm. if you can share, and then I also know that you have a free gift for our
1: audience as well, and everything will be in the show notes. So best way to find me, Jory Rose, J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E.com. My website will link you to everything uh, at Jory Rose on Instagram, my podcast, you know, everything is going to be linked through all of that. And from my book, A Year of Gratitude, I there are 13 meditations in the book that I have recorded because it's really hard to do a meditation when you're reading the meditation. You really, <laughs> it's hard to, you know, read a meditation. So it's my gratitude meditation bundle, which are the 13 guided meditations from my book.
0: They're so good. You guys, you need to download them. I love going into meditation with Jory. It's beautiful. And her voice is Thank so calming. You. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for your generosity and for being here today. I, Jory and I have known each other for
1: for decades, 25 years, maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so it's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for being my guest again today. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. Of course. Of course, Everybody tuning in, oh my goodness, what a great episode. You know that with every single person that I have on, or even if it's me recording a podcast episode, you know that I am just trying to help you navigate wherever it is that you guys are to just give you some nuggets of information to get you unstuck so that you can take a step closer to living the life that I know that you so desire. So thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Sending you all so much love, light, and joy as always. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorced Women's Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to share this episode with someone you know or spread the word on social media. That is how I'm able to reach more divorcees around the world and provide them with the support that they need to create their next best life. And I would love to continue the conversation with you. So please friend me on Facebook, join my private Facebook group, The Divorce Rehab with Wendy and follow me on Instagram at Divorce Rehab with Wendy. I'll see you next time.